Matthew 7. A lady in an airport bought a book and she bought a pack of cookies. And uh, she sat down and became so engrossed in her book as she was reading. She sat there. She noticed a man in the corner of her eye just a seat away fumbling to open up a pack of cookies on the seat between them. She was so shocked that he would have the audacity to eat her cookies. She really didn't know what to do. She didn't say anything, but she just simply reached over and took one and ate it. The man didn't say a word, reached over, took another one. Well, she wasn't going to let him eat all of them, so she took another one. When there was, they were just down to one cookie, the man reached over and broke the cookie in half. And then he got up and left. What nerve, she thought. I mean, and they were soon calling her boarding group to get on. And so she gathered herself up and she went to her seat. And she was still puzzled and angry as to, you know, what was going on. So she reached into her pocket for a tissue, or her purse for a tissue. And suddenly she started to turn red. As she reached into her purse... She touched an unopened package of cookies. Some of you will catch that tomorrow. (laughs) Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged, and the measure you use, it will be measured to you. How many times do we repeat that story, but in a different way? I'll continue on reading it. It says here, our morning text goes on. It says, why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye when there is the log in your own eye? You hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Do not give dogs what is holy, And do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, our text this morning is probably one of the most uh, widely quoted pieces of scripture in the Bible. Uh, In fact, uh, Bob Marley, the great Jamaican singer, musician, songwriter, wrote a song called Judge Not. Maybe you did not know that. These are some of the lyrics from that song. He said, uh, don't you look at me so smug and say that I'm going bad. Who are you to judge me and the life that I have lived, that I live? I know that I'm not perfect and that I don't claim to be. So before you point your fingers, be sure your hands are clean. Now, Bob Marley is known for a lot of things, but probably not for quoting the Bible. Marley is mostly right in his text And as I said, it's probably one of the most quoted texts of Scripture, but it's also one of the most misquoted texts of Scripture as well. And the benefit of a verse-by-verse exposition of Scripture is that when we hear a verse quoted, we get to learn how that verse is used in its own context. And hearing familiar verses in context helps us to understand the true meaning of Scripture. And so, this morning, we're going to be looking at the full context of those verses, not the whole context of the Sermon on the Mount, but we're going to be looking closer 
at what Jesus meant by this admonition not to judge, lest you potentially should find yourself judged. And so the text I'm going to expound this morning, I believe, carries this central idea that if we're really going to bless one another, uh, we must have a singular vision of ourselves before God's law. To bless others, Jesus is finishing his sermon where he started. We're just a few paragraphs away from the conclusion of the sermon. And he invites us at the beginning to experience a flourishing, to experience blessing. And in order to experience happiness and flourishing, humility before God's law must be must be taken into account. You must look at yourself honestly before God's law first in order to experience blessing from God's grace. And the idea of being blessed is not just so that you may hoard all the blessing, but that you might then in turn bless other people. And that's the whole theme here. You have people who are interpreters and teachers of the law who are not blessing people, they're judging people, they're elevating themselves above the law, they're praying in public as if they're the blessed ones, but they're hypocrites. And in this text, we're coming towards the end, and these people who think that they're helping others are not helping others. And so Jesus is giving a warning, but he's also teaching us how we really are going to help other people. How are we going to be able to bless other people? And the only way we can do that is we have a right impression of ourselves before God's law. The presenting issue may be that we have a misplaced misplaced judgment of others. That's kind of how Marley, Bob Marley, was looking at this text. But the primary concern is really doing good and being a light. It means taking extra care to evaluate ourselves. We need to have integrity of heart so that as we go out with the word of God, we can truly bless people instead of hurt people. So verses 1 through 4, we have this, uh, this, this analogy of you know, a speck and a log. And, and Jesus here is, as we're teaching us, the problems that come about by trying to do good with a distorted vision, as it were, having a double vision. And doing good, with air quotes, with a double vision is very destructive. Jesus is saying, don't even try it. It's not worth hurting others. You will also be hurt in the process. And by this point in the sermon, verses 1 through 4, we have this analogy of the eye, and we should be familiar with it by this point, And Jesus had taught earlier that the eye is the lamp of the body. The eye, if it's not healthy, if the heart is not healthy, it's going to project outward and not, you won't be able to see well what's going on around you. Jesus has been teaching the necessity of having integrity of heart, honesty of heart, wholeness of heart, so that you can see properly. 
Because an evil eye will be divided, it will see double, it, will, it won't be functional. And so Jesus, in that context, is talking about the problem in verses 1 and 2 of pronouncing guilt on others. The problem of pronouncing guilt. Now, let's just read verses 1 and 2 together again. It says, Judge not that you be not judged. For with the judgment you pronounce, you will be judged. And with the measure you use, it will be measured to you. Words there have meaning, and they matter. The word judge and judgment carries an idea of pronouncing of guilt. It's saying, you have committed this crime, and therefore you are guilty of committing this crime. You're pronouncing a guilt that you have violated a commandment. Now, the word measure is the idea of a standard or a common dimension common dimension. And Jesus in this is, he's drawing our attention to two natural laws, two natural laws. And the first is, foremost, that God is the ultimate arbiter of true justice. That little passive phrase where it says, judge not that you not that you be not judged, that's passive, isn't it? Someone is going to turn the table and you're going to receive the judgment that you judged others with. That little fat passive phrase is an actual mask for the work of God. We call this poetic justice. <laughs> I mean, when a person digs a pit in order to trap another person and then falls into their own pit, we, we laugh at that and say, isn't that just poetic justice? But all poetic justice is God's providential pronouncement of guilt by allowing you to experience the punishment that you were trying to mete out to another person. Poetic justice is God's providential hand revealing to you that you are underneath of the same law as everyone else. They're beautiful reminders when we see this happen in, in, um, in spheres of civic life. We see uh, someone getting what they deserve. And internally, doesn't our heart kind of say, that's good? And when that happens, we ought to rejoice. And it's a beautiful reminder that God is in charge. He is the sovereign one who is in charge of this world. And it's so important that we take a moment to glorify God when he executes and pronounces judgment like that. There's a second law here that he, he brings us, and that is the proclivity of the human heart to render judgment or to pronounce guilt. I don't know if you've stopped to consider this, but as we're made in the image of God, we have a natural tendency to want justice, and we also want to do what God is authorized to do, which is to pronounce guilt. That's what God does. And it's so frequent, and it's a sad irony, that we can be hard on others and enjoy doing it. We can enjoy being hard on others because it is a reflection 
of the fact, now a distorted reflection, that we're made in the image of God. To we want to pronounce judgment on things that we see that are not just. And it's a sad irony for us, particularly for Christians, that uh, we want to do this to one another. And we can be very hard upon our own, our own selves. And we can eat our own, if you will. Christians tend to be harder on fellow Christians, and sometimes we can be breed suspicion of one another and judgmentalism. One generation can look even upon an older generation and have a contemptuous attitude towards them. We can call others boomer, right? Or worse, we could call them millennial. Sorry. But that's only symptomatic of a problem. It's symptomatic of a problem. We can also make secondary or third degree doctrines a test of fellowship. That's another way in which we pronounce guilt upon others. Often this text is used to suggest, as Bob Marley did, that we're not to pronounce judgment at all. Like there's never ever a time where we ought to be doing that. However, that's not what Jesus is saying. Jesus is teaching the principle of sowing and reaping. There are times when we need to pronounce guilt. Paul did this. Paul, in the case of church discipline, pronounced guilt upon someone who is committing incest with, within the family. And when guilt is pronounced, it ought to be done in a context, though, of multiple witnesses. It ought to be done in a place of safety, of a plurality of, of leaders within the church that have been affirmed by the congregation. This is for security, because even within the process of necessary pronouncement of guilt, we can also do it wrongly if we're not careful. There is certainly a need, but plurality is a safeguard. So what is Jesus talking about here? How is he, how is he instructing us? Well, first, there is a need to deal with our own heart. Verses 3 through 4. Verses 3 through 4. Let me read the words again. It says, Why do you see the speck that is in your brother's eye, but do not notice the log that is in your own eye? Or how can you say to your brother, let me take the speck out of your eye, when there is a log in your own eye? It is... Another general law of human nature that we are often harder than on, on others than we are on ourselves. And we, we undervalue the issues that we have in our own hearts. And we overvalue what we see and perceive in the hearts of other people. That's a general law. I don't know if you realize that before memes, there were single box frame comics like the family circus, you had these single box frames that illustrated something true to family life. Well, a meme is the replacement of that, just so you know. So they're all fair and game. So I came across a meme a couple of months ago, and I saved it because I knew I'd be preaching on this text soon. And uh, there's an, a meme that has an extreme visual effect. Is there no meme there? Oh, here it is. Okay says, if you can't read that, me going to get that speck out of their eye. 
<laughs> that's, a, that's a hilarious, uh, because of the proportionality, it's so disproportionate to see, <laughs> I don't, that's crazy. But actually, I hate to say it, I've done something like that before. My shocks were gone. Actually, it was a U-Haul truck. I won't go into that story right now. But proportions can create and illustrate the, the hilariousness of what we're trying to accomplish. The log of fault finding, Jesus says, is evidence of a diseased heart. It's evidence of a diseased heart. Now, there's nothing wrong with being analytical in your personal disposition. In fact, uh, being analytical can be a gift to the church. However, some gifted persons are often unable to see their own pride in the use of their own giftedness. At times, a helpful person can't even smell their own bad breath. They can't see their own matted fur, and they're trying to help someone else. And if we don't deal with our own heart, we're going to distort the most essential problem of all, us. We're going to distort the true vision of what's going on internally in our own selves. Now, I believe that this tendency is even more pronounced today than, than ever before because of the nature of social media. Today, we, be, we tend to be very judgmental of others for not being part of our group. And we have a lot of less charity for one another. How come they don't see what I see? Have you ever given thought to the fact that maybe you were once blind and didn't see what others see? Charity and compassion for others is a fundamental. It's absolutely needed. Yes, there are foolish people that you see out there on social media foolish people embracing political agendas of darkness. And they can be really aggressive against the cause of Christ and what we hold dear. But once upon a time, Saul of Tarsus was also very much against Christians. And he was blinded by his pride. The example of Paul should be considered. He was willing, he said, later to be damned to hell if it would mean that his own people would once now be saved to see things as he sees them. You know, this can go for theological positions too. We can become so thoroughly convinced of Calvin or we can be thoroughly convinced of Arminius and we begin to judge the motives of other people. We can develop a conviction that is helpful for our walk with Christ, and then start to judge others on the basis of what we have developed as a means to walk with Christ. You see, doing good with a double vision is destructive, and this double vision comes because of pride. We have a higher regard of ourselves. We don't see that once we were blind, but now we see. An axiom that I have found helpful is this, is that hurt people hurt people. I don't recall where I heard it, but I know it's true because 
I know I've, I've personally hurt people because I've been hurting inside. We would all be helped if we could see others who are persecuting us or reviling us as people who are hurting, people who are blind. We ought to adopt the attitude of Christ in which he said as they were driving the nails into his hand, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And we ought to reflect, if we are hurting others, there's a good chance that we also are hurting. And so we must examine our hearts. We must relieve the pain and the pressure of that splinter that's like a log in our eyes. Well, the first step towards doing good, real good, is actually embracing humility. Verse 5. Verse 5. Jesus says, you hypocrite. First take the log out of your own eye, and then you will see clearly to take the speck out of your brother's eye. Now, doesn't that sound just a little bit off? I mean, it's harsh. The word hypocrite is a harsh term. Is Jesus being judgmental? That's a strong pronouncement of guilt. Would Bob Marley agree with that? But what Jesus is doing here is very complex, but yet so simple. He's encouraging a self-awareness, leading to self-judgment, and this leads to humility, which in turn leads to repentance, which then in turn leads to a growth in holiness. That kind of humility treats other sinners with mercy. Let me repeat that again. I think it's important for us to hear again together. Jesus is advocating a self-awareness that leads to a self-judgment, which leads to humility, which leads to repentance, which leads to a growth in holiness. There's a chain reaction of events. That's how we will be merciful to others. And Jesus began his sermon by saying, blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. We all want mercy, but none of us wants to be merciful to others. Grace flips the script and changes the orientation of our heart towards others. Now, Bob Marley may agree with the principle that Jesus is stating here, but maybe not for the same reasons. Hear me out. Some people excuse themselves and they will excuse others and become apathetic because we're all under the same condemnation of judgment. If you listen carefully to his song, that's, that's what he's saying. We don't judge anyone because we're all being judged and we can just, you know, there's no point. We just give up. But real humility does not come from apathy. There's a pride also in apathy. Humility comes from grace, not 
apathy. Humility comes from profoundly understanding that you have been given the grace of God and you have been freed from sin. That's where true humility finds its origination. This week I was doing Bible reading that was printed in the bulletin and I I saw something that was in James 4 that I had never seen before, particularly probably because I'm studying through Jesus' Sermon on the Mount and coming into James 4, I saw something really remarkable. James in chapter 4 asks, why are there fights? Why are there quarrels among us? And it's interesting because he pronounces guilt on the church, saying, no, it's, it's your passions internally that are at war with one another. You're creating these quarrels and conflicts because your desires are out of alignment. <laughs> and, Jesus, and, and James says that the remedy for this is to abase your pride and embrace humility. Listen to what he says. I'm going to read from a different translation that I I read from at home more devotionally. I I use the CSB at home as I read devotionally. And this is what I came across. It says, verse 6, But he gives greater grace, therefore he says, God resists the proud, but he gives grace to the humble. Therefore, submit to God, resist the devil, and he will flee from you. Draw near to God, and he will draw near to you. Cleanse your hands, sinners, and purify your hearts, you double-minded. That caught my attention. Be miserable and mourn and weep and let your laughter be turned to mourning and your joy to gloom. Humble yourself before the Lord and he will exalt you. Don't criticize one another. Brothers and sisters, anyone who defames or judges a fellow brother uh, defames and judges the law. If you judge the law, you are not a doer of the law, but a judge. There is one lawgiver and judge who is able to save and destroy, but who are you to judge your neighbor? Move to the next slide because it puts all that together. Double-mindedness is created by pride. We're not wholly looking at Christ because we're confident in our own selves and we're starting to look away from Christ and so we're looking in two different directions and we create problems. And the answer for this is humbling ourselves and taking the log out of our eyes and looking to Christ, recognizing that we are all underneath of the log. See that? Don't criticize. And he goes right into the same, basically the passage that Jesus is teaching in Matthew 7. It's all connected. It's like James heard this from Jesus at one time. Heard the sermon expounded. And he caught it. We are double-minded and we're ineffective because we think that we are above the law. And we, we live our lives and we hurt one another and we don't bless one another. And so Jesus, I believe, is teaching us through this, and James is teaching us us this. You know, the whole organization of the church is supposed to be about blessing one another and doing good. (laughs) And to do that, to bless others, we must have a singular vision of ourselves before God's law. When I was a younger pastor, 
I had a desire for pastoral success. I think that the church in that day also desired church success. In my first six months of ministry, we had attendance figures near 300 people. I think I was also the shiny new thing in the county. But as the size of the church grew, so did my head. I think others at the time became fearful and process toxicity was expressed in all of us, actually, myself included. It was revealed. And some people separated and there were painful expressions that were experienced by a lot of us. In the process, we were all hurt. We all were hurt. And during some of the after years, I don't know if I was as self-aware of what was going on in my own heart, and I was inadvertently, I don't think intentionally, hurting some people. I was doing pastoral care and hurting others. I was doing good, but not really. And the truth is, hurt people hurt people. Why do we hurt others? Somewhere along the lines, pride will also be there below the surface. Yeah, there may be trauma involved and painful separations and that sort of thing, but there will be resentment that pride proclaims and says, if you don't say it out loud, you're at least saying it inside, I don't deserve this garbage. I don't deserve this. The truth is, we deserve much more. We deserve hellfire for all of eternity. We don't deserve anything. We, ought, we have to humble ourselves before the Lord. It's the only way healing can occur. Blessed are the merciful, for they shall receive mercy. I do thank God, collectively and personally, that we are being healed of pride here. And if God will grow the tabernacle, it's going to be His doing. And it will be for His glory. It won't be our own. He will do the work. He has to do the work. Verse 6, doing good with a singular vision, though, can be costly. Costly. Verse 6, let's read it. Seems out of place, actually, but it's really very much in place. Verse 6 says, do not give dogs what is holy, and do not throw your pearls before pigs, lest they trample them underfoot and turn to attack you. Now, <laughs> first pass over this, it does feel out of balance, but it is really a counterbalance to what Jesus has been saying about pronouncing guilt. Sometimes people will take, you know, the first five verses to mean that, uh, that we're never ever to address one another for anything. 
Jesus didn't say that. Jesus is telling us here in this verse not to be naive, though. Let's say you have done the hard work of removing the log that's in your eye. There are some people, for whatever reason, they don't want to follow. They don't want to hear anything that you have to say. I mean, they, they're polite, at least. They might even nod their head that they're listening. But their heart is far from you. They're, they're running in the opposite direction. There are certain people, as I say, they just don't, they bristle under things that we are called to do as Christians. Uh, Hebrews 3, 12 to 13 says this, Take care, brothers, lest there be in any of you an evil, unbelieving heart, leading you to fall away from the living God. But exhort one another every day, as long as it's called today, that none of you may be hardened by the deceitfulness of sin. As I said, there are certain people who, when you tenderly, gently go and speak with them, they, they, they bristle, they, they, they turn, they, they get offended that you would even bring something like this up. There's something else going on here this verse. Jesus is asking us to have wisdom. The dog and the pig here are intended to refer to people who are unclean. Like in the Jewish sense of unclean, but also people whose hearts are distorted, like the dog, beyond salvage, even perverted. Pigs trample people and dogs rend people. Now, we have a lot of domesticated dogs, and I know that I could probably offend a lot of us here this morning. But the dog that Jesus is talking about is not the domesticated dog. He's talking about the street dog, like the kind that we saw in Ethiopia, running down the streets, eating things that were cast away, fighting over meat that they could find. If you look closely, this, sorry, this dog has the head of a goat and is gnawing on it. Street dogs are vicious, and they can turn on charity. They look cute. That dog looks really cute. But he'll bite you sooner than you think. The Apostle John in Revelation 22 verse 15 says this, that outside of heaven's gates are the dogs and the sorcerers and the sexually immoral and the murderers and idolaters and everyone who loves and practices falsehood. So Jesus is telling us here that we are to be, as it were, wise as serpents. And we got to recognize that there are some people who will not respond to discipleship. They will simply not follow. Jesus is essentially saying, you've got to let some people go. And that's costly. Enablement is dangerous. But maybe not for the reasons that you think. Codependency is a real problem of double vision. And it can distort your heart. You can use someone you're helping to feed your own ego 
because you need to be needed. That's a double vision, and it's dangerous. But by letting go of some people who are distorted and they refuse to respond to your instruction and encouragement and your love, what you are doing, though, is freeing yourself up to disciple those who truly will change. People who truly desire to change will also humble themselves and they will follow Christ. They will be responsive. Now, I'm not saying, I wouldn't want anyone to think that I'm saying, you know, one strike, you're out. That's not what I'm talking about. But we know intuitively that Jesus is referring to those who continually profess, I will do better next time, I will do better next time, I will do better next time, I will do better. And it's just an ongoing, and you feel like you're, they put distance between you, and then they show up magically in your life, and not not good for your soul it creates a double vision in your own heart because you think that you're being needed and you're not they need christ and so to bless others we must have a singular vision of ourselves before god's law really critical that we have this view of ourselves we are not superior to the law we are equally judged underneath of the law. We need grace in order to give grace. If we are hurt, we need grace so that we are gracious to others. Marley's song, Judge Not, hits close to home in this respect because the chorus goes like this, Judge not before you judge yourself. Judge not if you're not ready for judgment. Somewhat profound. I think it's so important that we are making sure that we're eating our own pack of cookies. Christians who read the Bible will see sin as sin. And it's one thing to clearly state that sin is sin. And our culture needs to hear that sin is sin. But it's also another matter to do so in a way without compassion for the weak the blind and the needy. Jesus is encouraging us not to have a censorious heart, not a critical heart, but he's also encouraging us not to be naive. We've got to recognize our own pride. We need to confess it, appeal to mercy, because this is the only way that we will be any good and be a blessing in the world. To bless others, we must have a singular vision of ourselves before God's law. Let's pray.